This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Hey, it's Jessica Marshall here. It has been a long and rough week of news here in the Capital Region. We're going to get into some of that on this episode of The Eagle, but first, I think we all need to hear something funny. Let's talk about comedian and actor Paul Reiser. What can I say? I'm a woman. I have needs. I understand. I'm young. No one's arguing. I'm vital. And beautiful. Are my ears too big for my head? And very neurotic. No, seriously. (laughs) The writer and star of Mad About You, among many other notable IMDb credits that would give a CVS receipt a run for its money in length that includes Stranger Things, is coming to town this weekend. And he's doing his stand-up at Universal Preservation Hall in Saratoga Springs on October 7th. I got the chance to chat with him before he heads to town for the show. He joins me now on The Eagle. But you're from New York originally, right? I'm from the city. I'm from New York. But I went to school up in Binghamton. So I'm familiar with upstate-ness. Uh, Have you ever been to, like, the Albany-Saratoga region before? Yeah, yeah. I played uh, Albany a year or two ago. The egg. People do think that the egg might have been dropped here by a spaceship. like in its- Either a spaceship or at the tail end of some huge vulture. Uh, it could have been that. <laughs> You know, you obviously have an IMDb list longer than, you know, a CVS receipt. So, but but stand-up comedy has always been something that you've, you know, come and gone to, right? Well, you know what? When I when I started, when I was in college, in my freshman year of college, I went up on stage for the first time. And that was all I wanted to do. I just wanted to be a stand-up, you know. I would watch George Carlin and Richard Pryor and Robert Klein and those guys. And what that's... Acting was not really it for me, but comedy was it. Um, but you wouldn't know it to look at what I've been doing. So uh, when Mad About You ended, my goal was to get back into stand-up. And then, but it took me a while. I didn't want to just dust off my old routines, and I just went back to the clubs and I started really from scratch. And that was about ten years ago. So now I've been doing it, you know, as often as I can when I'm not doing a film or TV, and and I'll. Like every other weekend, I'll go somewhere for a couple of shows. So I just go. People say, "Well, how do you decide where to go?" I said, "Very, I'm very. Uh, it's a very disciplined way. Whoever calls me, I go." So we got this lovely invitation from from the Preservation Hall. I said, "Let's go." Yeah, Saratoga is beautiful. Let's go. For someone who's never seen you in stand up, which I admit I've never seen your stand up, but obviously I've seen your body of work. Uh, how would you describe your stand up? Is it observational humor? Is it political humor? What is your what is your stick? Well, it's so funny you say because like some I've heard from so many people will come over and sort of say, you know, my my 15 year old heard you were doing stand up and they thought, wait a minute, the guy from Stranger Things is going to try to be funny. The Dr. Owens is going to try to be funny. I went, would you please inform your child and I thought well you know it's 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 a reasonable short it's a reasonable understanding because I hadn't been out for so long you know mad about you really came out of my stand-up at the time 
which is early 90s, I was newly married. My stand-up was all about being married and stuff. And we said, well, that's what the show is. And I always tell people, I'm not smart enough to make anything up. My act has always been, I'm just going to tell you what happened in my yeah. house. And hopefully you'll, you'll, uh, it'll resonate. And people, you know, wherever I go, people are laughing at the same things because they're going, oh, this guy sounds like my house. You know, it sounds like exactly the argument I had with my wife, with my husband, with my kids. You know, it's the same problem I had trying to increase the font on my computer. So whatever, you know, I just tell people what happened. Luckily, it seems to, it seems to ring true for everybody. Yeah, it's, it's very relatable, you know? you know. You bring up a point about what you do. You're a man of many talents. You're also a writer, right? You've written films, you've written, you know, works, and, you know, you've written books, so... I, I am remarkably talented, Jessica, and I think it's not, you know, it's not focused on enough. Also handsome and modest, and those are the things that I think will sustain. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, I've always been, you know, I've never been bored. I've never been, you know, I always, I'm always doing something... People don't believe when I say this, but, you know, I, I've been lucky and been on all these great shows and Stranger Things is the biggest show in the world. And The Boys is very, very big. And Kaminsky Method was very you know, well received. Mm. All great, all fun. None of it is as fun to me as getting on stage and doing stand up. And it's not as big. It's not as, you know, it's, you know, I'll go up and it'll be a thousand people. It's not 10 million people. Right. But it's more fun. This is the fun part for me. So I'm excited to be in beautiful Saratoga. Oh, I love that. You know, lately, in and lately, I mean, like in the last, what, five years or something like that, there have been a couple of things like, um, like sort of reprisals of roles that you played in the past, like you, the Mad About You stuff and then the uh, Beverly Hills Cop stuff. Do you enjoy that too? Like kind of going back and reprising like old well, things? Well, yeah, it's... Yeah, it was, they're, they're two, very, two different things. I mean, the Beverly Hills Cop, you know, is nothing to do with me. I mean, that's, you know, somebody somebody wrote the right check for Eddie and he went, okay. You're you like, know, I guess I'm along for the ride now. <laughs> yeah, you know, and they said, well, we, you know, where would you be 40 years later? So so that was just fun. And Mad About You, which is obviously, you know, I created that. So, it, it, you know, that was very close to my heart. And for years, you know, Helen Hunt and I stayed very close friends after all these years. And we used to joke about how we would never go back. Like, why would you? Because not that we did, didn't like it. In fact, we loved it, but we were so proud of what we did and we ended it and we tied it up in a ribbon and we thought we, we in fact did our finale in 1999. We did our finale, one hour special, where we even glimpsed into the future thinking that would tie our hands and we could never come back and show it because we've already told you what happened. When this, all these reboots were happening, we were approached and we thought we had to talk about it. And for us, we just said, well, it would be really fun to play together again because we just loved, we just had a great relationship and it was so fun and easy for us to get into those roles. But we were stuck on why would we do it? And a little bit, at first it was superstitious, like, ah, what if we ruin it? You know, what if we open up that box and we sully it? And then we thought, well, that's stupid. We're not, you know, we don't stink. <laughs> we know how to do this. But then the other question was like, but why? Mm -hmm. And then we thought, well, actually, when we did the math and we said, you know, we've been 20 years. So we left, we had an infant, and now the kid would be leaving the nest, going to college, leaving us alone again. And we thought, well, that's really interesting because, as you know, and you see, you know, those years of raising kids change you. And so 20 years later, they're not the newlyweds. They're not, their dreams may or may not have worked out. They're older, they're tired, their beautiful little baby turned out to be quite a handful. You know, all these problems that life throws at you, it's like, well, that would be really fun to mm -hmm. see 
what happens to these this couple that you know and love? What did 20 years do to them? And, and can you reignite the spark when, when the kid leaves and there's nobody to talk about? You know, you spent 20 years talking about the kid every day. It's like, now what? Who are we now? So that's going to be fun to write. So that's, we were ultimately really glad we did it. Oh, that's great. You know, you talk about relational stuff, like writing about what you know and your experience and all of that. But then you take on roles, like you said, like in Stranger Things or in anything really that you've done that isn't along those lines. Like, what about sort of preparing for that kind of stuff, like for the serious roles? What What is that? Yeah, you know, it, as much fun as it is to be in charge of your own standup or, you know, I'm mad about you to, to sort of create it and guide it and be the creative force. It's also very nice to shed all that and just jump into somebody else's, you know, sandbox. And something like Stranger Things is not something in a million years I could ever create. I just don't know that world. But when somebody as talented as the Duffer Brothers and this great cast of kids and David Harbour, and they say, well, would you come play with us? It's like, yeah, that sounds fun. So you don't have to do as much thinking. Just like, here, it's written. We already wrote the role. It, it used to be a running joke because I would try and understand all the minutiae Stranger Things and they would explain it to me. I'll go, yeah, whatever. Just show me where to stand because you're coming through. It's a portal, but it's really the upside down. So you're in, I go, you're wasting your breath. I don't get it. I, I can't understand it. I'll just be the doctor. That's great. That's a great perspective. I love that. <laughs> um, no, no, but it, it is fun. It is fun, you know, to, to, to sometimes just show up and be the, you know, be the dummy and put some, put some clothes on me and, Tell me where to go. Um, and quite a juxtaposition from from the comedy. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is very totally different. What is uh, one thing that you want to say to the audience that's going to come out to see you this weekend? Here's the truth, and I'm not just saying this to suck up, but of all the shows I've done this year, I believe uh, this weekend at, uh, at Preservation Hall is going to be the best show of all, and maybe of our lifetime. So to miss it would be criminal. And silly, and you'll beat yourself and go, oh, I heard it was fantastic, and we didn't go. So my guess, there's still tickets. Go get your tickets and come to the show. And here's the thing. If you're not, here's my money-back guarantee. If anybody comes to the show and they're not entirely uh, sated and they're not satisfied in any way, I will come back next year and I'll take you to see somebody funnier. So, you know, either way, you're going to win. That's what I'm saying. Awesome. And then either way, I get to talk to you again for the podcast next year, right? Exactly. <laughs> Paul Reiser will be at Universal Preservation Hall Saturday night, October 7th at 7.30 p.m. Tickets you can get at proctors.org. And check out more of my conversation with him on timesunion.com. So, it's October now. It may have been pushing 90 degrees this week, but that's not going to stop Halloween from coming. The decorating and candy procuring around the region are still in full swing despite the temperatures especially in Albany. This year, the city is reviving a festival it first held 119 years ago. The All Halloween Festival took over New York's capital in October of 1904 and October of 1905. It drew as many as 100,000 people from around the country. Well, mostly from Troy, but still. It featured lavish parades, ghoulish decorations, the crowning of a Halloween queen, and scary ghost stories galore. Albany is 400 years old after all, so there are definitely a few eerie legends. The festivals at the turn of the 20th century 
were held at a time when spiritualism and a fascination with the occult were the height of fashion. Remnants of that intrigue remain here today in the form of the many ghost tours and Halloween attractions that we see every year. That was what inspired Discover Albany's Maeve McEnany to revive the All Halloween Festival this year, albeit in a more modern way. The month-long festival is underway now. Events include an art walk, ghost tours, and a Halloween ball. Times Union Features reporter Catherine Kiesling caught up with McEnany to learn more about this festival. Here's part of their conversation. Why did Albany first create this all Halloween carnival in the first place? Money. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So it was um, a gentleman uh, by the name of Wilbur Judd, uh, and he worked for the newspaper, and he was looking at the success of Mardi Gras, which is a very Mm -hmm. destination-specific event. And he's going like, well, we could do something like this. What What does Albany have? We've got Halloween, right? At this point, you know, there's not spirit Halloweens. It's not the industry that it is today, mm-hmm. but it is does have a lot of weird and wonderful, wonderful things that you felt like you could do a Mardi Gras without mm-hmm. being totally derivative and totally copying a Mardi Gras. Uh, they partnered with the Men's Business Council, who went all in on it, and you know, they really did this with commerce and tourism in mind. Mm. They had buy-in from the local businesses to do um, competitive decorations with electric lights, which was be a really big deal in 1904 and 1905. And they also did train packages. So we have evidence in the newspapers that they were partnering with the trains like we would today, right? We'd partner with hotels to do room blocks, things like that. They were working with the trains to get people into Albany. Uh, And really, the festival was a victim of its own success. It was too successful. (laughs) Yeah, I would love to hear a little bit more about that, because if the goal was money, I mean, it it brought, uh, what, 50,000 people to Albany, so it was a success Uh, by all purposes. The first year was 50,000, and uh, they say 20,000 at least were from Troy. (laughs) Specifically is what one of the articles say. They say Troy was empty. Everybody remarked that even though it was 50,000 people in that audience, that Everybody was in such good humor. They had they uh, couldn't get over that the crowds were so well behaved. So that's when they said, "Well, it was such a success. We obviously need to go bigger and better for the next year." And their promotions courted a hundred thousand people. So that must be beyond Troy, right? <laughs> and yeah. that was a different atmosphere. Um, you know, people started getting a lot more rowdy, a lot more anxious. Uh, for example, Queen Titania, our Halloween queen, mm-hmm. who was the highlight of the festival both years, uh, her carriage, uh, there was at least five parades, so <laughs> her particular parade uh, was delayed, her carriage was delayed, and everybody started to get anxious and they pushed against the ropes and the police were overwhelmed. People were taking feather dusters and getting the pepper and soaking the feathers in pepper, waving them in people's faces, and that was early pepper spray, essentially. It it was just kind of had, it was too much for the city. And a lot of people do ask us, you know, well, why aren't you doing just the one big event? Well, that didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) We've learned our lesson. So 
that's why uh, we have now reinterpreted it. Let's you know, do it for the whole month because we're already doing events for the whole month anyway, put it under one umbrella. And we also hope that it'll ease other destinations like Salem, Massachusetts, which is literally telling people do not come. Do not mm-hmm. come. And same with uh, like Sleepy Hollow, New York, right? And so we're also hoping that we can ease some of that pressure with some of our neighbors. Mm. What made y'all decide now was the time to resurrect <laughs> so, Halloween? Uh, the city of Albany gave us the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we don't have to belabor a lot when we talk with COVID. You know, COVID devastated our nonprofits, our cultural partners, our hotels, uh, you know, our tourism industry was really gutted. Mm-hmm. And the city of Albany was given the opportunity, uh, municipalities across the country were given uh, the American, it's the ARPA plan, you know, mm-hmm. where some cities, you know, they took this pot of money and it kind of just went right to where they thought the need was. But the city of Albany, Kathy Sheehan's administration took a pot of it in, you know, set aside and they went to the community and said, well, what do you, here are some priorities that we have, what we have seen what if you had this money how could you address these priorities you know so discover albany met and we talked and uh it was a co-worker who brought up the idea and my co-worker you know my other staff here said ah you know the people i work with said yeah but that's too big and i've been doing ghost tours for 15 years i've been in this weirdo little industry in albany for a while and i said actually we already do it we already have it all. It's just piecing it together mm-hmm. and modernizing it and trying to recover. So uh, the city seance, you know, that's hiring local uh, professional actors. And we actually first did that tour in 2020. We were the only theater available in October 2020. It was the only place you could see live theater was on the streets of downtown Albany uh, for city seance. So we are, you know, we are hiring local actors. Um, Albany Center Gallery, we are hiring artists um, to put artwork all throughout downtown Albany, and we hope to grow that. Um, the Halloween house ball, you know, it actually will address a lot of mental health services. Um, we, the Halloween house ball will serve in our own voices, uh, fund their mission, but also a crown, a new Halloween ambassador who will speak to that mission and also have a fun and creative way to get those mental health services to um, LGBTQ and non-binary youth and a community that's often overlooked. That's amazing. Um, I was wondering, just because it's it's something that I am interested in, did the spiritualism movement have anything to do with the city's like initial launch event? I'm just thinking yeah. timeline-wise. Yeah, so it's something I'm actually diving into now. Okay. Uh, so what we know is spiritualism, yes, Albany was not immune to it. I do have a, a new story that I have just uh, figured out that we'll be piloting during uh, one of the tours, is that the Fox sisters, who mm-hmm. were so important to the the movement of spiritualism uh they're the young girls from rochester cracking their bones speaking to the spirits Mm -hmm. and when the spirits said it was time for them to reveal themselves and these young girls were so nervous about it where did the spirits tell them to go albany the first place they went i know i just got chills i just figured this out the spirits told them to come to albany first they stayed at the Delavan Hotel, uh, which would be by Tricentennial Park, and they met with the local elite, uh, Edward Delavan, who was a known teetotaler, very strict, very this, but he was so enamored with them because I think they spoke to his mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were not so welcome in Troy. Troy ran them out. So, I'm, so yeah, our roots go deep. Um, <laughs> the James family, um, 
their grandfather was a multi-multi-millionaire. He bought Syracuse for a time, like super rich. Their father um, had a horrible accident that crippled him at Albany Academy, traveled the world with his boys, Henry James the author and William James, and he got into a movement that's kind of a precursor to spiritualism, Mm -hmm. uh, Swedenborgism. And so the James boys always grew up with this, Mm -hmm. like kind of ghosts were around. And they would come to Albany often to visit their grandparents, who they loved very much, uh, had very fond memories of Albany. Henry James, we know, went off to write ghost stories like Turn of the Screw. Mm -hmm. His brother starts the first paranormal society in New York State uh, that's still active today that Dan Aykroyd's family was a part of which inspired Ghostbusters. So Albany inspires Ghostbusters. It's a whole thing. <laughs> so, so the roots are deep. The Any city is going deep. to have a month-long Halloween this festival. This is what I'm saying. We just can't shake it. <laughs> we just can't shake our love of Halloween. And honestly, why would you want to? <laughs> and why would you want to? Why would you want to? You can see a full schedule of events for the Albany All Halloween Festival at albanyhalloween.com, and there's more on timesunion.com as well. After the break, we will talk about a story from our region that made national headlines, and that is the kidnapping of a nine-year-old girl in Saratoga County. We'll be right back with more on that. If you're enjoying this podcast, take advantage of all the Times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union subscriber today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe. Welcome back to The Eagle, a Times Union podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Marshall. We had one of those weeks in the newsroom here where we were juggling several major stories, and all of them were pretty emotionally charged. On Wednesday, the Daryl Mount wrongful death civil trial began in Saratoga County. The trial comes more than 10 years after 21-year-old Daryl Mount died after a police chase. We will be following that closely in the coming days. On Thursday, Jacob Klein was found guilty of second-degree murder in the killing of physician assistant Philip Rabati. The jury took about two hours to deliberate, and we will talk more about that on next week's podcast. Friday marked five years since 20 people were killed in the Schoharie limo crash. We've been working on a limited series podcast on that crash and its aftermath, so stay tuned for that. And then there was the story this week that made the region hold its breath for nearly 48 hours. The abduction of a nine-year-old girl last Saturday night at Moreau Lake State Park in Saratoga County. It was national news. The little girl was found alive Monday, and her abductor, Craig N. Ross, has been arrested. We are going to talk now with managing editor Brendan Lyons, who's been covering the story all week. But before we jump in here, I do want to note something important. While this child's identity was put on blast across the nation when she was missing, 
now that she's been found, we at the Times Union have made a very conscious choice to no longer identify her by name. As such, you will not be hearing her name on this podcast. Okay, Brendan Lyons joins us now on The Eagle. This kidnapping case broke open on Saturday night at Moreau Lake State Park. There was a family from uh, the Corinth area who were staying at a campsite for the weekend with some friends and family members. They were on a small loop road dotted with campsites. The children in the group were riding their bikes around this, this small loop road. It looks like it's probably maybe a quarter mile at best in length, not that big. When the children came back, the nine-year-old daughter of one of the group of parents mm-hmm. had asked to ride around the loop one more time. And that was around 6.15 on Saturday night. She never came back. And they went to look for her. And they found her bike, and it was had the kickstand down, and she was gone, uh, as well as her bicycle helmet. So they wow. frantically searched. Other campers tried to help them find her, assuming maybe she had run into the woods or something or got lost. Quickly, they realized that this was serious. They called 911, and state police responded. And through the night, with search teams and dogs, they searched, uh, and divers, they searched some of the water in the lake and its tributaries. They, they looked into the woods and it was around midday Sunday when they issued a Amber alert and it became clear that they believed they were dealing with a stranger abduction, what appeared to be a stranger abduction. Stranger abductions are pretty rare, right? They're extremely rare stranger abductions, which is why I think initially maybe the focus had been on she must have just got lost, kids being kids. Maybe she chased the squirrel into the woods looking for it or something, you know. So, but they quickly realized that they had a disappearance, a vanishing. And the problem in that area, the Moreau Lake State Park, is off Route 9, which is off exit 17 of the Northway. And it's in a very remote area. In the immediate area around that exit and the park, there are no service stations nearby, no no convenience stores, anything that might have cameras, and apparently no cameras at the entrance to the park. So they had pretty much no leads in this case. They, they brought investigators in from all across the state. This became a full court press. The governor went to the, to the scene of the disappearance at a news conference on Sunday, and they started bringing resources from everywhere, including the FBI. That's like looking for a needle in a haystack, though, right? Right. So overnight on Sunday, you go fast forward. State police stationed a trooper, at least one trooper, at the house of the family up near Corinth and Porter Corners. Throughout the night Sunday, uh, what state police have said is that there were people, well-wishers, who might have come by the house. I assume they're dropping flowers or cards or maybe lighting a candle or something. The the state police will not answer our questions on some of the questions I wanted to ask them, for instance, was how many cars came by that house between midnight and 5 a.m.? Because at 4.20 a.m. with the trooper parked there, a black pickup truck rolled up to the mailbox, put a note inside it and drove away. I'm not sure how much time elapsed before that trooper went to the mailbox and looked inside and pulled out what turned out to be a ransom note. From sources have told us that it it may have been written 
by the little girl, which would be interesting because that would confirm for the parents that she's both alive and that this is somebody who really has her. Wow. It asked for $50,000. There was a call dispatched, but this truck slipped away into the night. And there has been a lot of second guessing about whether the trooper should have pursued that truck right away because it was odd, arguably, for someone to stop by and drop something off in the middle of the night like that, you know, a couple hours before dawn. With that note, they spent hours and hours. And what I'm told is that initially they could not get a print from that document. It didn't look good. But as the state police forensic teams continue to work throughout the day, eventually they were able to use some sort of method to get a print. I think it's a single fingerprint. And when they ran that print through the database, it came back with a hit for a Milton resident named Craig Ross Jr., a 46-year-old man who had just been investigated for allegations that he had inappropriately touched a 12-year-old girl. That case was closed out as unsubstantiated just last month in September. So that's at 2.30 in the afternoon on Monday. They begin immediately to track down Mr. Ross They track him to his mother's residence as a mobile home on Barrett Road off Middle Line Road in Saratoga County. It's just west of Boston Spa. I believe they would see his truck, his black truck parked there. So her mobile home is there. And then there's this camper trailer sort of in the back off to the side where it would turn out that he would he would be arrested and and the little girl was found. They had a helicopter overhead. They went into that trailer and luckily she was she was found stuffed in a like a compartment, a cupboard in this small bedroom in the camper. Um, wow. Mr. Ross was was arrested, charged with first degree kidnapping. And the young girl was taken to Albany Medical Center Hospital and she was extremely distraught, as you can imagine, and you know, very, very emotional as she rode in the ambulance and was taken to the hospital. Wow. And you could hear the collective sigh of relief, I think, from the universe, basically, that was watching. I mean, this story went national. You know, her aunt was on Nancy Grace. Like, there was a lot of attention on this story trying to find the girl. Her parents had put out a statement indicating that they were extremely grateful and that they also were cognizant of the fact that people in their situation, parents in this situation, usually don't get a happy ending. Um, They usually don't get their child back. What do we know about the alleged abductor? So now with Mr. Ross in custody, he does not have apparently any serious criminal history, no criminal convictions for sex abuse, for abductions, for anything other than I could find that the now closed investigation into whether he had inappropriately touched a young girl. And that was an incident that is supposed to have happened more than a year ago but was reported to police just this summer. In the town of Milton, where Mr. Ross and his family have lived for decades, and they've lived in various locations at various mobile home parks. But what's interesting is that in 2003 and in 2005, there were abductions and murders of two teenage women. One was Christina White, who was 19, when she disappeared in 2005. And the other was Jennifer Hammond, who was 18 years old, and she disappeared in November 2003. 
both of these women had ties to mobile home parks. In Christina White's case, she was last seen leaving a trailer park, a mobile home park on Rock City Road in the town of Milton. And wouldn't you know it, that Mr. Ross had lived there in the early 2000s in that park. In the second case, Ms. Hammond, she was selling magazine subscriptions door to door. She's from Colorado and somehow got hooked up here with some people and was in this job. She was last seen at the Creek and Pines mobile home park on Middle Line Road in Milton. Both of their bodies were were later found years later. Um, Mm. Hammond's body, she was the 18-year-old, was not found for six years until after her disappearance. And and by then, it was only skull fragments and, and three teeth. Over that much amount of time, animals and other things can can tear at human remains. So there wasn't much forensic evidence. And White was found about a, more than a year after her disappearance, also in a forested area up in Greenfield. In her case, there were skeleton remains, and they determined that they think she was stabbed to death. Hmm. These cases, I've spoken to the investigator from the Saratoga County Sheriff's Department, who is the lead investigator on these unsolved cases. And he confirmed that Ross will be scrutinized for any potential connection to these cases, as well as any other unsolved major crime cases in the area that involve abductions or cases where women have been just simply disappeared and have never been found in some cases. So the latest is that they're going to look for those connections and not that they found them already, right? Right. There's nothing right now he's not identified as a suspect. One of the challenges or more than one of the challenges in this will be that I am not aware if there's any type of unidentified forensic evidence connected to those women. They were in the woods so long, their remains, that I don't know if there was any unidentified fingerprint or DNA. But the challenge, too, is um, he has an attorney. So it's not easy for investigators to go in and and just simply start asking him questions about these cases. It may be unlikely that any defense attorney would allow his client to answer questions about those unless, for instance, he wanted to confess, you know, to the kidnapping. Stick by timesunion.com or any of our social channels for the latest on this and other stories. All right, that's it for this week. I'm Jessica Marshall. The Eagle is a production of The Times Union. It's produced and edited by myself with help from the Times Union digital team and the newsroom. Special thanks this week to Catherine Kiesling and Brendan Lyons for their contributions to this episode. It's been 15 years since 12-year-old Jalique Rainwalker vanished. His disappearance from rural upstate New York was ruled a probable child homicide. But no one has ever been charged, and his body has never been found. This is Rainwalker, the Lost Boy. I'm Jessica Marshall. And I'm Wendy Lepertor. 
In this podcast from the Times Union, we'll take a deep dive into this mystery, the case of a missing child that has unsettled New York's capital region and beyond for more than a decade. Available now, wherever you listen to podcasts.